Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 55 and I'm recording it um, rather late at night actually, <laughs> might be why I sound a bit husky, in the beautiful area of Hermosa Beach, LA. Uh, now, I've probably got some guys listening out there who are living there right now or maybe you're visiting, but suffice it to say that if you've been to Hermosa Beach, you've probably fallen in love with it like I did. Earlier in the year when we came to LA as a family, we did a little day trip up the beaches past Venice through Manhattan and up to Hermosa and Redondo. And there was just something about stepping out onto Hermosa Beach that I was like, oh my goodness, I feel like I'm home. This is such a special place. And uh, and so when I had a trip to uh, Utah recently um, with um, that big long trip home, I thought, oh, I'll break it up and I'll spend a couple of days writing and working on my book as the deadline is looming in Hermosa Beach. And I am here now and I'm so glad I made that decision. It's a very inspiring place. And the sunset, if you haven't seen it before, go check out my Instagram at Lotox Life. It's as simple as that. And you'll see that I was a bit snap happy on the um, Hermosa Beach sunset front. Enjoy. Now, today's show, I have a wonderful doctor. His name is Sandeep Gupta. And he was one of the first doctors to be trained in the Dr. Shoemaker Protocol. Now, who on earth is Dr. Shoemaker? He was a GP who kept having people with strange symptoms coming into his rooms and trying to figure out how on earth all these symptoms were connected because up to about 38 symptoms were presenting and nothing traditionally seemed to work for these people. He pretty soon started to see some patterns and developed a line of testing that would help ascertain whether or not they were suffering from something called SIRS or Chronic Inflammation Response Syndrome. And that's what I have Dr. Sandeep Gupta on the show to talk about today because as you guys will know, I have experienced a massive inflammation cascade over the past 15 months that I'm still recovering from after uh, I had a general anaesthetic last year and a surgery. What we think happened was that uh, my body was very down uh, in terms of being able to fight things and viruses, moulds, etc. were able to invade. And if you look at the genes that I have, I definitely have those weak in the face of mould genes. And I've lived in three on-the-trot buildings that had water damage. So that's often a recipe for disaster with people who um, have the mold susceptibility genes and then there are a few inflammation markers as well that uh, can help you diagnose whether that might be a thing for you. Now, it's not necessarily tied to mold. Lyme and other low-lying viruses can be implicated in SIRS as well and we talk all about it today. Dr. Gupta's also generously given us 10% off his Mold Illness Made Simple course, which is an online course that I myself have invested in and done and highly, highly recommend. If you're someone who feels like this might be an issue for you, you have no idea where to start, it will be like your cuddly toy <laughs> during, during your journey of healing yourself and bringing that inflammation down. 
So I hope you enjoy that chat. But before we leap into that chat, I just wanted to share with you the first week of our October long sponsor, uh, The Wonderful Nourished Life. Now, Irene and I became personal friends gosh, what was it, about six years ago now, maybe even seven, uh, when we met at a lunch of a mutual friend, Cindy Lucan, who owns uh, Luke Beauty Food, the gorgeous lipsticks. And I found my soul sister when it came to how strict and cautious I was around chemicals being used in products. You know, while a lot of people like to use the, oh, no, it's not guilty until proven so, you know, I look at history and I think, well, that was lead, that was asbestos, that was parabens, that was BPA. So I prefer to be quite precautionary. Not alarmist, but definitely precautionary, especially if there are studies that indicate that certain uh, chemicals are shown to be uh, possible or probable hormone disruptors. That's probably the one I'm most passionate about because of what hormone disruption causes as uh, downstream effects through the body. Um, but also, of course, carcinogens and the like. And Irene and I sort of tossed around a few chemical names that we were researching personally and we were like, oh my gosh, you're as strict as I am. So Soul Sisters ever since, it's been an absolute joy to watch her business flourish over these past years uh, into a mega business in New South Wales Telstra Award winner in the Telstra Women's uh, Awards, which is a huge achievement and a national finalist, uh, as well as a bunch of other awards. And um, she's so committed. Her team is so committed. I love that they have an in-house naturopath rather than selling supplements online uh, where you kind of are just hoping for the best that that's going to be something that suits you. You can literally call them up and chat to a naturopath about what you're considering, which I just think is so responsible and refreshing uh, in the land and times of internet doctors where people are telling you that this will cure that and take this for that without any qualifications whatsoever. So I'm a big fan of that aspect of their offering. And I'm also a fan of the Nourish Life Club, which is just something I wanted to share with you quickly. If you are not someone who shops on Nourish Life, and you can be anywhere in the world, obviously shipping is more expensive uh, outside of Australia. And if you're a club member in Australia, it's actually free. Even if you just buy a mascara, free shipping. But contact Nourish Life for your international rates. But you can absolutely be a customer of theirs no matter where you are. And if you join today, you'll get 15% off coupon for your first order. As I said, for Australians, shipping is free always. Uh, you earn points to spend in the store. You can become a bronze member and then graduate to platinum and get better and better rewards as you progress. Uh, you can even earn points for referring friends or for simply writing a product review, how you feel about the things that you're using. You earn free gifts, exclusive sales that you're privy to that other people aren't if they're not in the club. And it is just a brilliant, brilliant rewards program, uh, rewarding, I guess, their, their loyal members. Uh, so please do jump on the Nourish Life website today, check it out. It's an amazing, amazing business that Irene has built with her team and uh, and is well worth making a part of your regular online shopping uh, list, if not number one on the list. Now, in conjunction with Nourished Life, Waters Co., um, a fantastic 
fantastic filter, a filter that I deem good enough to uh, gift my sister for our beautiful new family member, Oscar, who's now just five months old because obviously, you know, babies drinking water. Uh, I was highly concerned as I was when I learnt the first time round and I was unfortunate that Sebastian was already two before I learnt about fluoride in water. But fluoride is shown to be in preliminary studies and, and quite extensive ones now too, neurotoxic and lowering of the IQ. Uh, and it's especially pertinent to children because by body mass, because the dose is the same for us all, um, they're obviously getting a higher percentage by body mass. And that concerns me. It's not something I want in my water. Um, it's definitely fine if you want to use it topically on toothpaste. Yes, there is research to suggest that uh, fluoride is is good for combating dental decay, but I I just haven't seen anything conclusive enough to satisfy me in terms of it being safe to drink in water. Something that uh, I'm hugely passionate about also is that your water filter be made from either glass or ceramics and uh, the one we're giving away is, yes, I said giveaway. We are giving away this water filter. It is worth nearly $600. It has a 5.25 litre capacity of a blue glass reservoir and it filters out fluoride. It filters out Chlorine. Chlorine does us no favours in our gut. You know, we had uh, Professor Cohen on the show recently talking about how chlorine impacted uh, gut microbiome and killed off some of our good guys and we definitely don't want that happening. And it's really funny, once you start drinking filtered water and then you go back to it like tap water at a restaurant or a cafe, I'm by no means militant and I go with the flow and if I'm thirsty, for goodness sakes, I'll just have a glass of water at the cafe, that's fine, every now and then and um but you can smell it and it smells like a swimming pool it's uh really really quite crazy how high the levels are um and how sensitive your nose becomes once it's no longer in your daily water supply so it filters out the fluoride the chlorine pesticide residue which as we know from professor michael antonio's podcast is essential that we try and keep our pesticide load to an absolute minimum and, uh, of course, harmful bacteria. And also what I like about it is that there's coral and silica in the stage process to remineralize the water. So you're really getting a fantastic quality product here. And it's if you want to check out the actual model, I've put a link to it in the show notes. It's the Waters Co. BMP500 Benchtop Alkaline Water Filter. It's got 4.9 average star rating out of five from the people who own it. And the uh, price is 575 on sale from 699. So if you're hearing me and you're thinking, I don't want to end a giveaway, I actually just want to get the filter because I never win anything anyway, then you're getting a huge $125 off this water filter this month as well if you choose to buy it. Um, but if you do think you're, um, you're going to get lucky and win this water filter, all you have to do is comment in the show notes and say why you believe in clean water. It doesn't need to be an essay. Writing an essay is not going to mean you have a better chance. I'm going to be choosing this um, based on all of the entries on random.org. 
um, so that it's super fair and uh, and we will announce the winners on the fourth week of October. So I'll keep reminding you during the month to enter the competition to win this water filter worth $699. But if you want to jump on and buy it from today, it's $575. I'm super excited as one last thing to say about the wonderful Nourish Life website uh, is that I have... Uh, created my best of packs and you have three of them available now and we're going to see how they go and if they go really well uh, we're going to add a couple more but I have already for you my favorite reusables and in there of course you get our gorgeous Lotox Real Food Manifesto shopping bag Everyone says it's the best shopping bag they've ever had. So I'm very proud of this shopping bag. You get a gorgeous cup and um, some produce bags and all the things you need to get started on your reusables journey. My go-tos for low-tox kids and also my go-tos for the face for our beautiful um, skincare. So I've popped all of the links to those gorgeous packs which give you a great saving in the show notes today. So that's three things. Go join the Nourish Life Loyalty Club. Go enter the Waters Co. BMP 500 Alkaline Water Filter Contest by commenting in the show notes why you love clean water. And go check out the new packs. Tell me what you think. Tell me what you want in a pack. If you have other ideas, I'm totally open. So that's that. And without further ado, I'll um, kick into today's chat with uh, Dr. Sandeep Gupta on SIRS, Chronic Inflammation Response Syndrome. I hope you get some value out of the show. And if you know anyone who's just been experiencing some weirdo symptoms for way too long and hasn't been able to pinpoint why they're not getting any better, please share this show with them. It could change their life. Dr. Sandeep Gupta, how are you? I'm great. Thanks, Alex. And how are you doing? I am really well, thank you. And I'm so excited to have you on the show. And I, I was, you know, trying to write my questions and thinking how we could not make this a 10-part series because there's so much to talk about. But maybe we just start with your story and how you came to specialise in the area of SIRS and how you discovered Dr. Shoemaker's work. And that kind of obviously led you down a path of specialisation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the short version is that I was working in a, a hospital in Brisbane as a conventional medical doctor, and this was around 2005, 2006, and it had some quite significant health problems as a result of getting unwell when I was overseas and then taking some antibiotics and experiencing uh, problems with my gut initially. And that led me down, I guess, a more open-minded path of exploration throughout the medical world. And, and for instance, starting off with looking at the gut microbiome and um, other other ways of, of maintaining balance within our health, I guess, rather than a, a solely disease-oriented approach to, to medicine. And um, around about six, seven years after that, I started to realize that the homes that I'd been living in or, or in fact two different homes I'd lived in had been water damaged and that I just hadn't felt my best when I was living in those homes. So I don't know if you've had that experience, but yeah, there was just a stage of my life where I, I felt like my energy just wasn't really at the optimal level that it could have been. There was a little bit of brain fog and I just wasn't feeling quite as happy as I could have been. And 
Uh, and what I discovered was that there was a degree of of mold toxicity in those homes, and um, and the way I really came to know about the full syndrome of mold toxicity, which we call SIRS, is um, having a house up on the Sunshine Coast, uh, which I moved to in in two thousand and ten, um, flood. So you might recall there was there was oh, quite yeah. a bad you know, there was a really bad flood time in around 2013 I believe it was uh, which which affected Brisbane really really severely and also the Sunshine Coast and I was living in a, in a, a rental home which had a the lower level below ground level and and that's a that is actually a significant risk for getting bad uh, bad water damage to a home and 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 this home flooded very badly during those floods and uh, the whole of our garage, for instance, was had water ingress in it. A lot of our possessions had to be thrown away. And uh, my partner at the time got really, really unwell. And, uh, and just, you know, watching her decline and seeing how it had affected her, I really needed to, I, or I decided I really need, had to understand this a little bit better, how mold toxicity could affect someone so badly. And, and that led me to seek out the work of, of Richie Shoemaker and his colleagues and to, to do the certification in, uh, in, in SIRS treatment. And um, the rest is history. <laughs> the rest is history. And it, can you explain briefly how it does affect different people differently? Because my husband is not affected at all. And yet I am affected really pronouncedly if we're in a water damage uh, building situation. Is it a genetic thing? Well, that's the, the hypothesis at this point is that the, the HLA genes, so HLA stands for human leukocyte antigen, and really you could say the HLA genes code for our ability to cope with outside invaders of any type. And there are certain gene types, which Dr. Shoemaker identified in his practice-based research, that appear to be associated with a greater risk for developing SIRS due to mold exposure. Uh, and it, it's not simply a genetic condition, though, because we know there, there are plenty of people who have those genes who are not affected. So it seems that it's, it's basically to do with having those genes activated. Mm. And so, for instance, if, if you have some kind of infection such as uh, glandular fever or Kawasaki disease or Kawasaki virus, those sorts of, you know, a bad infection like that can activate your genes. And, uh, and so if you do have that particular gene type and you, then you get some kind of infection or some other uh, what we call priming event that occurs, then all of a sudden what happens is instead of being able to create a proper immune response against mold toxins, you're not able to, and instead you, you develop a chaotic and inefficient inflammatory response, which ultimately never works in ridding the body from mold toxins, firstly, mm. and, and secondly causes very widespread symptoms throughout the body. Oh, it's a hectic array of symptoms. I I remember when I first started researching for myself and, you know, each symptom that came up at the very first stages, we would just, uh, myself and my naturopath, work on that symptom. And, of course, you know, you could be working on so many things that end up being downstream effects 
of mold illness, Sears, um, and it you can really um, miss the boat on what you're supposed to be treating because the, the symptoms are just so confusing and not necessarily related to each other in the traditional sense. Uh, so that that's something that I found super confusing. And in your work, you talk about um, symptom clusters. Can you can you expand on that? Yeah. So the idea behind symptom clusters is to understand the fact that SIRS is really a syndrome that affects many, many bodily systems. It's a, it's what we call a systemic problem. So it's not just affecting one or two bodily symptoms, which, which uh, can happen with some illnesses, but rather it's affecting virtually every organ system of the body. And therefore, uh, we have a cluster analysis which uh, involved, which was created by Dr. Shoemaker, and it involves a whole bunch of different symptoms belonging to different organ systems. And so, generally speaking, the, the studies have shown quite clearly that if you have eight symptom clusters or above, then that's very, very highly likely to be SIRS, or your symptoms are highly likely to be due to SIRS, while if you only have four or less clusters, that's very, very likely not to be SIRS. And it's up to about 97, 98% accuracy, actually. Wow. If, if you're, you know, in those extreme groups of either being really, you know, eight or above or um, four or less. So, so the amount of symptoms and the number of different bodily symptoms is, uh, body systems rather, is actually a very good way of differentiating this from other syndromes. Uh, so I think that's the key thing to understand. Absolutely. And because it's all, all the different body systems, I mean, I remember going, okay, so there's the nerve twitches, and and the tremoring hands. There's the weird palpitations and ectopic beats. There's the crazy brain fog. There's and I was going through and there's you know and for so long I was like nothing's related. This is driving me insane. And I'm a nerd who prides myself on being able to research stuff. But then as soon as I came across uh, Dr. Shoemaker's work and and yours. It was this sort of aha moment of, oh, my gosh, everything is related and it's SIRS. And it can be just such an exciting – it's like the best bad news you ever got, right? Because you finally get get to a point where you can start to work on something. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, there's, as you say, there's two sides to it. So one is the kind of the devastation of realizing that your own home could be making you unwell, which is a, a hard pill to swallow in some ways. Uh, and, and many people find that very confronting. However, on the other side of the coin is the knowledge that there is actually something causing your illness that's very discreet and can actually be managed and so that's very liberating so so there is two sides to it as you say and i think it's very important to focus on the fact that ultimately that this is um it's that you found a cause and and many people go through their whole lives without knowing really the causes of their symptoms and just managing them through medications and through other symptom control methods and to be able to actually realize that there is a root cause and there's a, there's actually a distinct mechanism which is causing these symptoms that you can actually control to a certain degree. I mean, that that's hugely liberating. Hugely. And so with SIRS, is it just mold or is it are there other biotoxins um, that can come under this umbrella for diagnosis and condition? 
No, no, there's definitely other biotoxins. And, and you could say that the emphasis has very um, strongly been put on mold, which, in fact, it should be not really called mold. It's really water-damaged buildings overall. And it's not necessarily – so I think it's important to mention that in a water-damaged building, which is one in which there has been ingress or intrusion of water for at least 48 hours or more, there is a whole microbial soup that develops – which means that there's a whole bunch of different organisms which cause problems, and mold is only one of those. And there's also bacteria, parasites, actinomyces, and then we've got uh, substances which we call volatile organic compounds or VOCs. And so it's a really it's a whole a whole soup of different elements which which make people sick. Um, when they are um, sensitive and exposed to water-damaged buildings. But there is also other causes. And, and interestingly, the syndrome can be almost identical and very hard to, to distinguish, actually. And, and so one other source can be tick bites yeah. uh, and some of the bacterial infections one can, can gain from tick bites. And then the other ca main category is contaminated bodies of water. And, uh, and contaminated reef fish and that kind of thing where one can get uh, cyanobacteria and fisteria, uh, which are, uh, I guess, uh, um, it's, it's a little bit of a rarer cause, contaminated bodies of water. But if you live around the Murray-Darling Basin or in, near, the, uh, near the border of, of Victoria and New South Wales, I guess that, the, that kind of thing could actually be possible. Mm. Wow. But, but the okay. vast majority of cases, yeah, is going to be due to water-damaged buildings or related to, to tick bites or other vector bites. Sometimes bed bugs and other bites like that can also be sources of these same bacteria. Yeah, and it's all about that chronic inflammation response that we have to those things. Yes. Depending on who we are, possible genetic factors and possible other underlying things that set us off. Right, Okay. So how might someone most typically know that this might be worth investigating for them? So what are, what are the symptoms that you see in clinic after having worked on this for years and go, okay, here we go, you know, who should be seeking further help? Well, I think the, the probably the most obvious situation is someone who has a whole bunch of different symptoms and maybe has been put in the, the basket of chronic fatigue syndrome or fibromyalgia uh, or something along those lines, who has had fairly minimal improvement on most standard treatments, including nutritional treatments. Right. So we try that, everything lifestyle. We do all the right things, clean up the diet, get rid of the toxic shampoos and house cleaners, and, and you expect to get better, but you don't this is one of those situations yeah, yeah. I, I think that that would be that would be probably the most usual situation in which I would start s suspecting sirs and um, particularly particularly if you know we've done some some basic treatment some basic nutritional management and looked at gut function and tried to manage microbiome and um, and 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 uh, assist organ function in a, in a number of different ways, and there still hasn't been an improvement after all of that. So, for instance, after after employing many of the uh, the, the the nutritional medicine protocols that are out there, that tends to start suggesting that there's you know that there's a deeper level of dysfunction going on, and that's where I start suspecting sirs. 
Okay, cool. And, you know, something that can be really uh, heartbreaking for people who are chasing their tail on on symptoms and trying to get help and seeing different people who might not have the experience to be looking for SIRS in the first place, and I'll probably add here, there aren't many who are looking for it as, as something from the get-go of working with um, a patient or a client at this point. It's getting more and more awareness out there but at at this point it's you know if you see someone who's presenting with a few symptoms you might try and focus on adrenal fatigue for example whereas that could be a bigger picture of SIRS. Yeah and I think that's a really important point you're bringing up there Alex and I think we're kind of getting coming to a new stage of our understanding of 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 nutritional medicine or functional medicine and you know where these kind of diagnoses like adrenal fatigue were very much focused on some years back as the you know as more and more scientific information becomes available the more that it's important for us as practitioners to review our understanding of, of uh, the human body and and the diagnoses and so therefore you know when we see abnormalities in uh, adrenal function I think it's very very important now for for practitioners to always think of SIRS as a possibility mm. And we can waste a lot of cash doing this and getting all sorts of um, tests that might not be the key tests to reveal the, the condition that is actually at play if it is indeed SIRS. So how can we as regular people out there getting confused as all by the internet and by all the different information that different practitioners we're working with, you know, like just try and picture that person who has no idea that SIRS exists yet how does that person start to put the pieces together themselves to be more confident in pushing their practitioners to research this for them? That's, well, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> it's a challenging one, but yeah, I almost feel like if we give ourselves more power to be more critically thinking about things as we look into things ourselves, um, you know, that could be a really exciting opportunity for us to to own that power and say, you know what? No, I want I want you to check this out. I think it could be this. Yeah, so I think I think most practitioners are definitely trying to to help their patients as best as possible. Oh, of course. And, that's and, that's definitely not uh, something I'm questioning. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So just to start from that point of view, then, you know, basically if if one did present them with the with information, in general, one would expect that that would be something they would, would tend to take further. Now, in some situations, that that may not be the case. And um, there are some things that are going to make it easier for a practitioner. For instance, though, so if you as a patient have done uh, some screening tests, so for instance, there's something called a visual contrast sensitivity test or VCS, like visual contrast sensitivity, at uh, the website survivingmold.com, which is spelled the American way, M-O-L-D. That's Dr. Shoemaker's website. So if you were to do that test, and as part of that test, there is also the cluster analysis. So if you do that test, and I think it does cost about $20 or so to go on and, and purchase that, um, yeah, but it's it, very it, inexpensive. I think it was fifteen US. Yeah. You're okay. Right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So if you go on and purchase that, it also does the cluster analysis for you. And then if you find it's very important to firstly to use um, to to follow the instructions exactly and to to do the test at the exactly correct distance. 
from the from the computer screen. So it involves looking at various shades of gray within circles. And um, if you do do that with the exact correct instructions at a well lit room, and you um, fail that test and you also it also says that you fail for symptoms so it'll often just come up with a yes or no uh, for symptoms uh, so if you fail for symptoms and you fail the visual contrast test now that's going to be that's going to suggest pretty strongly that that SIRS needs to be explored in fact it's very likely that you would have it yeah so therefore if you were to present that information to your practitioner i guess along with the idea that that these are screening tests for a, a syndrome called sirs um, which has been you know researched in the in the literature quite extensively uh, then often that could be that could be a good segue for them to then decide whether that's something they want to uh, further investigate as being an avenue that they use in their practice or whether they may want to refer you to another practitioner who, who specializes in that. Mm. And so in terms of that diagnostic piece um, and the VCS and the symptoms being the first step, there are obviously quite a few other markers that we can start to piece together the SERS puzzle with. Can you share some of those and why they're significant? Yeah. So, so once you've done the um, those couple of tests, which are the, we've talked about the visual contrast sensitivity and the cluster analysis, often the next test to do is called celiac gene testing. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're not really just looking for celiac disease. We're looking to look at your HLA gene type. And uh, and in Australia, that's something that we do with the Sonic group of labs, which includes um, Douglas Hanley Moyer. Melbourne Pathology, Sullivan Nicolades, and Clinipath Pathology. And so if you do that test, it actually comes up with some specific numbers. And those numbers are what we call your DRB1 and DQB1 gene types. And there is a something called a Rosetta Stone, which you can find at the website survivingmold.com, which I mentioned before, mm. uh, at uh, Laboratory Tests subpage. And uh, if you go to that, that site and look at the Rosetta Stone and you've had a bit of training, you can, start to, uh, you can start to piece together what gene type you may have and, and what susceptibility you may have. So that, that's, a really good, that's a, a really good next step on, on trying to work out whether you may have SIRS. Mm -hmm. And you know how there are the HLA-DQ and HLA-DR is either more significant or is it about sort of a, a combination of results? It's about the combination. Okay. Yeah. So, so if you look at the, uh, at the Rosetta Stone at survivingmold.com at laboratory tests, you'll see that there's three columns there and they relate to the DRB1, mm -hmm. DQB1, and then what's called DRB3, 4, and 5. So those last three columns, you, we can't easily get in Australia. You can actually get those through the Red Cross if you really want to get the exact uh, gene type. However, in, in general practice, we're, we're not worrying about that the majority of the time because Dr. Schumacher has said you can work it out majority of time without that that okay. test and therefore the, those first two columns once you match those up to your blood test uh, for celiac gene studies you can usually ha work out which uh, type you are with a, a reasonable degree of accuracy wow amazing 
And then there are a few that seem harder to get or almost impossible to get in Australia, but we've obviously got people listening all over the world. What are some of the other markers that are important um, in your view? Yeah, so then there's a bunch of unique inflammatory markers and, and regulatory proteins, uh, we call them, which, which Dr. Shoemaker has has really brought into this field of chronic illness. Uh, and these are often markers that were, were studied in the syndrome of sepsis, uh, oh, which wow. is a, a severe infection that people get in, in intensive care units. Mm. And, uh, and, and one of the biggest things that Dr. Shoemaker has discovered is that many you know, chronically ill patients have elevated levels of these unique inflammatory markers. So the, the ones that are generally elevated, which I call proteins or or, uh, compounds which fuel the fire of inflammation in the body, they include C4A, uh, MMP9, and TGF-beta-1. Those are the three uh, really important ones. So these these may sound super confusing if you've (laughs) never heard them before, but they're just something you're going to have to learn if you want to understand the syndrome. Yeah. And so I'll repeat those again, C4A, MMP9, and TGF-beta-1. And then what you have is some proteins which are regulatory proteins. Now, what that means is these are proteins that put out the fire of inflammation in, in the body, or they regulate the fire of inflammation in the body. And therefore, you want to have good levels of these. And if they're too low, that also creates a problem. Mm-hmm. And so these compounds include MSH and VIP and also ACTH and ADH. So some people's heads are going to be spinning. Uh, <laughs> Don't panic, guys. We have all of this in the show notes as well, including all of the links to the VCS test. So please don't, if you're at this point in our chat thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm going to listen to this like five times and still not know what's going on. You have a lot of support in the show notes today. Great. Yeah, that's very important. And and I do acknowledge that this is very overwhelming if you're hearing this for the first time. And yeah, even myself as a physician, when I first Skyped with Dr. Shoemaker at 1 a.m. in the morning uh, about f- five years ago, and he started talking about C4A and TGF-beta-1 and MSH, my head was spinning too. But it's actually, um, it, it's just a little, like, it's, it's a little chunk of knowledge that you're just going to have to work on and get, and get familiar with. And once you've climbed that little mountain, uh, you've climbed it. Mm. And and you've got it, and it's no more overwhelming. So there is a there is a little bit of a, a mountain of knowledge to climb if you want to understand SIRS, and I don't believe there is any way of getting around that. Yeah, and with these tests, so the inflammatory markers that you mentioned, and also the regulatory proteins, are they all available in Australia, or only some of them? Well, the some of them are, are available sort of through Medicare, like VIP yeah. and ADH. And ADH is antidiuretic hormone, which has got to do with fluid balance. And um, there are some other ones as well, such as ACTH and cortisol and osmolality, which has got to do with how concentrated your blood or urine is. So those sort of tests, which are some of the sideline ones, are available and maybe Medicare rebatable depending on the situation. And, uh, and so those ones can be done. Now, as for the other tests, there is a lab in Melbourne who are offering this these tests, but at this point we have not found 
that the results are comparable with Quest Diagnostics in America, which is the gold standard. Mm -hmm. and, and therefore, we're trying to take a very scientific approach to this syndrome in Australia. And therefore, I can't recommend that using the, that lab at this point even though it, it is my sincere hope that we can continue to work with that lab and and, um, and basically... Bring up the standard. Um, yeah, bring up the standard eventually. So, so, therefore, we have to have those bloods sent off to Quest Diagnostics in the United States. And there is an arrangement in Queensland, New South Wales, and Victoria where that can be done. But that's usually through the, the main certified uh, shoemaker doctors and also some of the other uh, main doctors who are interested in this, such as Dr. Ruth Edwards and Dr. Rashmi Kabina in Melbourne, uh, who, who also do utilise this testing. Right. So we can literally send our blood across the world to get tested and get our results. Exactly. And uh, so um, that's still the gold standard. Uh, of, of testing and Dr. Shoemaker actually set that up for us here in Australia directly and so it was clearly his wish that, that people had access to that um, highly accurate testing. Is it extremely expensive? It's, um, it's a little bit pricey but generally speaking um, you can have the main markers done three or four markers done for somewhere around uh, seven or eight hundred dollars and that includes so it's usually around 250 just to, for the collection and freight and the reason for that is that it has to get sent on dry ice rather than just in the normal mail so look it's a little bit on the pricey side but I don't believe it's totally out of uh, out of reach of, of everyone yeah and it's you know, for me, it always comes down to do you want to keep stabbing in the dark at downstream symptoms or actually getting to a root cause and, and start healing? And, you know, we can spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars on popping supplements and not really getting anywhere. And sometimes it's better to just bite the bullet and, and test those markers. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, Dr. Shoemaker is very, very big. And, and this is something that I really picked up from working with him, just the importance of precise diagnosis and, and not guessing or making assumptions. Mm. And that that's really one of his, his um, areas that he puts a lot of emphasis on, uh, is on the importance of, of, of correct diagnosis and exact diagnosis. And to make a diagnosis of SIRS, you do need to have at least three abnormal blood markers. And, and therefore, you're not going to be able to get a, a proper diagnosis of SIRS without having those testing done. Right. Now, something else that seems to form part of the testing for SIRS is something called a NeuroQuant scan. It's not something I've had myself, but it is something that I've heard you speak about quite extensively on one of your webinars. Uh, what was it called? Brain on, brain that, on Fire. Yeah, Brain on Fire. Mary Ackley. Yes, and that was such a great chat, and I'll, I'll link to that in, in the show notes as well for anyone who feels like their brain is literally on fire and they can't think straight then it's really going to be quite revelatory. Uh, what is this NeuroQuant scan for people who haven't heard about it and why would we be considering trying to get one on this journey? NeuroQuant is a computerized analysis of 11 different brain areas on a brain MRI scan. Mm -hmm. So brain MRI scans are used quite regularly in, in conventional medicine to look for brain tumors and to exclude bleed, bleeding on the brain or any other uh, severe condition of the, the nervous system. So 
in this syndrome of, uh, of chronic inflammatory response syndrome, we use NeuroQuant to look at whether there's been any swelling or shrinkage of, uh, of the main 11 different brain areas. And the shrinkage that we see is too subtle for uh, the plain eye of a radiologist to notice. So we're not talking about massive shrinkage or uh, massive swelling that occurs with this. It's, it's microscopic, and therefore we need a computer program to actually be able to detect those levels. And, uh, and so therefore, NeuroQuant, it was actually developed um, mainly to look at traumatic brain injury and Alzheimer's disease, it has now been um, applied to the science of, of SIRS. And what we find is that there, there is a specific footprint or a specific pattern that's associated with SIRS due to water damage buildings. And it involves uh, shrinkage of, of a certain area of the brain called the caudate nucleus, and it in, involves enlargement of a, a whole um, host of different areas, including the the main uh, cortical grey matter, which is one of the the main areas in the brain. And in everyday life, what does that actually translate to the person feeling? Well, it translates to you feeling like your your brain is not as sharp as it should be. Now, in in a mild case, it may just mean that your ability to just be to, to totally concentrate in a conversation uh, or while listening to a lecture like this, you may notice that you're, you're not able to focus totally and you, you may tend to wander off with your attention when you're listening to a call like this. And uh, you may notice that, you know, while many years back you may have remembered everything I said at the end of this call, you may not remember that much of it. And these are they're just some subtle signs uh, that that your your brain is is got a subtle fire of inflammation affecting it, and uh, but the good news is it's reversible, so you don't have to panic. And some people do panic mm. uh, when when they they hear about this idea uh, that their brain could be subtly shrunken or swollen. But it's important to to recognise that this is these are just a temporary change in the brain due to inflammation, and it can be totally reversed. Which is amazing. And have you seen people being misdiagnosed with something where it is actually just brain inflammation as a SERS clinical picture? Oh, it's extremely common for yeah. people to get get diagnoses of generalised anxiety disorder or major depression and that sort of thing. And I guess I don't really necessarily consider it a misdiagnosis because it's just at this point, this is this syndrome is new yeah. to to medicine in Australia, and therefore, you know, that's just the standard diagnosis that people are going to end up with. But absolutely, it can, someone can be suffering with anxiety or depression or almost any psychiatric syndrome, um, primarily as a result of biotoxins from, and whether that be from a tick bite or a water damage building or some other source, but that absolutely can be the, the, the cause and it can be the sole cause. Wow. And how do you feel as a doctor knowing what you know and seeing the results that you've seen with your patients? How do you feel about the path to getting more people on board in the fields of psychiatry, psychology, other GPs, naturopaths, I mean, everybody really, how do you feel the path is going to go to getting more people aware that this should be in the mix when, they're, when they've got that person in front of them telling them what they're experiencing? 
Well, I actually feel fairly positive about it because awesome. I think the, the science is quite quite definite and clear and sometimes that has been the barrier with mm. regard to integrative approaches is that the scientific scientific data just hasn't been quite solid enough but in this field we really are approaching a stage where where the scientific knowledge is solid and you know even from a totally conventional scientific viewpoint as a psychiatrist or as an endocrinologist there is a reason to to sit up and and pay notice to this pay attention to this field of evolving information. And if you were to listen to Brain on Fire, you'll see that Dr. Ackley was basically practicing as a, a fairly mainstream psychiatrist yeah. until she came across this information. She came across quite a few of her patients who swore that their symptoms were, were more mainly related to, to environmental exposures. And then the more she studied it, the more she realized that there, there, there was a mechanism that could be clearly demonstrated that was occurring with these people. There was blood tests that could actually be performed and that were abnormal and they could actually be rectified and, and it could be, and you know, definite improvements could be seen in the patient. So in other words, it, it wasn't just a an idea or a, um, a wild kind of supposition. Yeah. It was, there was actually a proper, a properly developed pathway of, you know, between cause and effect that could actually be demonstrated through blood tests. And therefore it would seem, once you know about that, it seems totally remiss to not incorporate that into your practice, no matter what specialty you are. Absolutely. Uh, or as you said before, to then acknowledge that you're not going to be the person who'll be able to take that person on that journey and refer them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. As practitioners, we all need to know our, our you know, what, what our strengths and limitations are and what, you know, what areas we want to put our time into in terms of, of learning and, um, and specialization. So, yeah, either way, if you, you, know, you decide to learn this yourself, um, that's fantastic. There's, there's so much more room for more doctors to learn this. Or if you decide that you just want to be aware of this and, um, and then be able to refer other people um, to doctors who do like to deal with this syndrome such as myself then then that's also definitely a you know very viable option mm. and so just to cap off uh, the the like aspect of diagnosis so you mentioned just a few markers being required in the on the road to testing does that mean you don't need to keep going once you've got a few positives yeah, um, yeah. I, I think basically, as once you have around three abnormal markers, mm -hmm. in general, that that should be sufficient. So one doesn't necessarily need to have every single marker that's been described by Dr. Shoemaker done in every case. Yeah, I think that's an important point. And it may be more in a legal case or some situation like that where you absolutely want to dot the i's and cross the t's. Ah, like where you need to get compensation for. A, a landlord who said, no, I'm not going to fix the building or things like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's more when when you may want to look at doing every single blood test. But otherwise, the main ones, you know, that we've discussed already, such as the celiac gene tests and then MSH and C4A and TGF beta 1 are probably going to be the, the really key blood tests to have done to see if you do have the syndrome. Cool. And so we find out that we do. And then... 
what do we do? What what are, do you follow the Shoemaker protocol in its entirety, or have you then discovered some things that you can bend on, like different types of binders? Or um, I'd love to hear sort of some of the the key steps you take with your patients. Yeah, so so there are some variations, but basically the the, sh- the Shoemaker protocol consists of three stages, if you like, and so the, the first one. And the most important one is addressing the cause of the biotoxin exposure. So in the case of water damaged uh, building exposure, it basically means avoiding any contact with the water damaged building. Now, if that is your home, then that means either you're going to have to remediate the home or you're going to have to move house. But that second option is not as easy as it sounds because um, if you do have this syndrome, your your level of sensitivity to to mold is actually quite high, and therefore the majority of homes out there are not going to fit the bill. Mm. So, how do you choose a house? You know, you mentioned you had a couple of experiences where um, there were a couple of houses on the trot that were water damaged that affected your wife particularly and yourself to a lesser degree. What? How did you then choose the next one once you were aware? Yeah, so, I mean, one thing, and I talk about this in my course um, quite a bit, and, and that's something we'll talk about a little later on. But one thing is, if you are someone who appears to be suffering from problems due to water damage building, is you've got to learn to notice the subtle signs. And by subtle signs, I don't necessarily mean visible mold, because a lot of the time there isn't going to be any visible mold, although you definitely want to be on the lookout for that. So if a place has visible mold, um, whether that be in the the air conditioning ducts or right in the corners of the ceilings or anywhere like that, then that's clearly a sign that it's water damage. That's very, very important. But the more subtle sign is going to be musty, musty odors or any type of odors. So musty odors will often be a sign that there, were, there is an excess of mold species. If you get a ammonia smelling odor or a, a urine type um, odor, that's often a sign that there's an excess of bacterial species. And, um, and there are a variety of other odors. There's a special odor when there's a lot of chemicals or VOCs present in a place. So, um, so getting, honing your sense of smell is very, very important. And therefore, one part of this is that if you've got blocked nasal passages, it's very important to try and work with your doctor or your other or your practitioner to have those nasal passages cleared through some sort of, uh, you know, some sort of means, uh, whether it's using nasal sprays or uh, something called a neti pot, which you actually can run water that has various different um, additives in it through your nasal passages and your sinuses to clear your, your nasal passages. But I think that's a, a really important point is you need to have a good sense of smell mm. if you're going to be able to detect um, whether a, a place is water damaged or not. Um, and then over and above that, there are certain things you can look for. And the more you learn about the syndrome, the more you'll you'll be able to detect subtle signs. So, for instance, I mentioned that um, the house that I was in that was flooded had a lower level that was below ground level. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's a that's a, a very important sign to look for uh, for a house that will tend to become water damaged because then that situation water will tend to pool on the lower level of the house and um, and it's going to be prone to water damage. 
there are look there's a variety of other things that, that you can learn to look for um, but I guess the key is if you can learn to detect musty odors and um, and learn to just see some of the subtle signs of, of mold in a building then that's going to take you a long way and then over and above that you can send dust samples off or air samples, but it's more the dust samples that we recommend uh, for PCR testing, which is a type of DNA testing. And uh, we mo most recommend Mold Lab in uh, Newcastle um, and their ERMI testing, which is spelled E-R-R-M-I, or the, there is a, a, a more basic test called a Hertz Me Too test, uh, which is a, a simple test you can do. I think it only costs around 179 to do the Hertz Me Too test, but that will usually give you a reasonable indication of whether a place uh, is is in the in the worst category of water damage or whether it might be in the more safe category. Mm. Okay. So there's a few things to do there for the people who are wondering about that. But as you alluded to, your online course, Mold Illness Made, is it Mold Illness Made Simple? Yeah. Yes, that's it. It is just so good at helping people navigate this whole palaver. So um, we've got the show notes there and, um, and a bit of a special offer for everybody too, which is great. So thank you for that, Doctor. Now, something that seems to come up a lot, and while I have you here, is parasite testing, but only because it seems like people with SIRS seem to have co-infections and, and parasites. It, it's so commonly in the picture. Have you found that to be the case in your practice as well? And if so, what is your favorite test for parasite testing? Because there's a lot of conflicting information around this. Uh, yes, I have found that to be the case uh, myself, and it may be due to low levels of MSH, which has effects on the gut. But basically, the, the general recommended test is, is the PCR test uh, for parasites in the stool. Yep. And and that can be done with most local laboratories. And that's actually only come out over the last two or three years or so. Previously, they used to just do a culture test, and that was never quite as effective for detecting parasites. So any GP or any, any spe specialist or GP can request this test um, with the local laboratories, and in some cases it can be done bulk build. But it's basically a, a PCR, and then often they also recommend the OCP test, which is over cysts and parasites, which is the where they have a look at the, the stool under the microscope. Mm -hmm. And you can, you know, the, both of those tests can be done on the same stool sample. But if you have that done, uh, through a local lab, that will often pick up some parasites such as blastocystis or dientamoeba. They're some of the common parasites we see. But it's important to also note that there are other parasites other than those main ones that are um, that are listed on the um, PCR test for parasites that can cause problems in some cases. And therefore, even a negative test with the PCR doesn't 100% exclude the possibility of parasite infection. Yeah, this is what we're finding. So so do you then have to just go on, on, on gut feel and symptoms that are presenting to kind of take a stab at, at healing from that because you think there might be one? It's, it's not unreasonable for people who have got some gut symptoms to trial a herbal protocol for parasites uh, if the symptoms are suggestive. And even to do that as a once a year kind of routine, because it's just such a common, it's just such a common thing. 
And uh, and so, yeah, I think one needs to always keep a high index of suspicion for parasites in any unwell patient. Mm, cool. And so in terms of, of healing then, I know the cholestyramine is something that is recommended by um, Dr. Shoemaker in his protocol. Um, and for people who don't know what that is, it's actually traditionally used as a cholesterol-lowering drug, but it is an amazing binder for nasties in the gut. And I wondered whether that, what your view was on that uh, and whether you were using anything else in the mix. I mainly use cholestyramine in mm -hmm. any patients that will tolerate it. Um, however, there are some people who can't tolerate it. And therefore, in those cases, we will trial on natural binders, which include things like bentonite clay, chlorella, and zeolite, and also charcoal. And we do know from the studies that, that charcoal, would, for instance, definitely will bind to certain mycotoxins. Now, at this point, uh, we haven't got a um, definite clinical data to, to show that it improves lab parameters in SIRS. So that's why we tend to, to go to cholestyramine wherever possible. However, basically working with each person, you know, we just have to find what is able to be tolerated and whether we can get an improvement in lab parameters with whichever agent we choose. And obviously if we choose a lab, if we, sorry, if we use a binding agent and there's no improvement in the visual contrast test, for instance, then that tends to suggest that we're not being successful and we need to use something else. However, if we use a certain agent and there is an improvement, then um, we can often move forward and move to the next step. And there are, there are basically 14 or so steps of the Shoemaker protocol. Mm -hmm. And is that something people have access to without going through a doctor? Can one buy it online or, or look it up? Or uh, cholestyramine, you mean, or the natural? No, no, the um, the fourteen steps of the Shoemaker protocol. Oh yes, yeah, yes. So that's that's a uh, that can be found at survivingmold.com. dot com. Mm -hmm. And uh, so if you go to the protocol at uh, survivingmold.com, dot com, it, it will it will take you through it. But you may find that that the information on that that site is a little bit confusing because it's it's quite technical. Yeah, basically. And therefore, a lot of people do get overwhelmed with the information that's easily available. And, um, and, and, you know, without making this into a huge plug, I honestly think that's a reason to consider doing the, the Mold Illness Made Simple course because it's, I think it is really the only, the only place in which you'll find really an attempt to make the information really simple and digestible. Yeah, which is something that <laughs> if you are struggling with SIRS, you really appreciate because of the brain fog that you're experiencing to begin with. And um, yep. yeah, you just, it can, uh, it can all sound like a foreign language. If I had to ask you, other than obviously vacating your water damage building or getting it remediated, what you feel the, the two most significant things people can do on the road to healing from Sears are, what do you reckon they'd be? So other than that, other than move, well, you, so you said the number one. Yeah, of course. The number one is, is moving or, or, or having your place remediated. Number two is taking binders. Yeah. Absolutely. And number three is probably the final step, which is a VIP nasal spray. Okay. And that's something you generally go on once you're in a totally safe building mm -hmm. and you have a normal VCS test. 
and your also your nasal passages have been been cleared from any of these um, staph species that we we tend to see in patients with SIRS. And um, and that's something you can also read about online, but they're called Marcons, which is spelled M-A-R-C-O-N-S. And it's really a special type of staph bacteria which tends to, to affect patients um, with SIRS, and it's very important to eradicate those as well as part of your treatment protocol. Mm-hmm. And do you eradicate those with something that you do nasally as well, like a silver yes. or... Or uh, some sort of antibiotic? We're investigating a silver and EDTA combination, mm-hmm. and we're trying to find out if, if a compounding pharmacy in Australia can do that. But otherwise, we're still generally using the standard formulation of BEG nasal spray or EDTA nasal spray uh, in order to eradicate these organisms from the nasal passages. Right. Cool. Wow. Okay. We've covered a lot, Doc. <laughs> <laughs> Is your head spinning yet? <laughs> well, I mean, I've been researching this for a little while. I, I'm more concerned about my audience, to be honest. But uh, I think it's just, you know, so many people do all the right things, still have no answers and haven't known that this could be something that they could be researching. So, like I said, it can be the best bad news you ever get and then it's the start of something really amazing when you when you get your tests, you pinpoint it and you start on the journey of healing. Can I just ask you a couple of questions about mould in the house because this is another thing that just conflicts so many people. For me, it seems pretty clear that there are two different types of situations when it comes to mould in someone's house. There's the type where it's just from condensation and let's say that's sort of, you know, when you start to see a bit of mould on the tiles because you've left the bathroom window closed in winter and the steam of the shower just keeps keeps that humidity high and the mould starts to grow. But then there's the type of mould that literally grows in through the walls and out because of systemic leakages or damage behind the walls. If it's just condensation, there's obviously a few things we can do and we don't need to move home. Would you say that that's accurate for me to say that? I don't, I I don't want that, to tell people a, the wrong thing. That, that, that's a reasonable reasonable way to think about it. I mean, the other the other situation to consider, which is very important as well, is is simply when the the, the furniture and other possessions have been contaminated from a previously water damaged house. Yeah, that's that's also a, a very important category. Yeah, that 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 people can fall in. So that's another one to consider. So if it's just used to, if it's just you, the problem is mainly a condensation one, or um, not due to actual structural water damage, then it's going to be much less of a problem mm. in general. And and one can often distinguish that. Um, based on the species that come up on the ERMI or Hurts Me Too test. Right. Uh, so, for instance, if it's mainly Aspergillus and Wallemia species, uh, which is spelled W-A-L-L-E-M-I-A, then that tends to suggest more that, that it could be in that category that you're mentioning, like a condensation problem or cross-contamination from, uh, from another residence. Um, but it's not as likely to be um, structural water damage. Right. And this is so this is important because this could literally be 
a, a quite a low touch, easy remediation of make sure your windows are open, make sure you get a dehumidifier in the humid times of the year and run it constantly and, and things like that rather than, you know, half of Australia and America and the UK listening to this right now thinking, oh my gosh, I've got to move because there's a patch of mold in my bathroom. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's an important point. Yeah. yeah. We don't want to get hysteria as a result <laughs> of this. So yeah, in some cases, there are just simple things you can do. Like, for instance, a, a very simple thing with a bathroom that's become a little bit moldy is to make sure there's an exhaust fan in there yeah. and um, and just using, you know, basically like a, a damp cloth to remove any any um, surface mold. And um, But basically, if, if the problem is deeper and we and, – and I think the important thing is to also differentiate. It's very different if a person is suffering from SIRS than if you've got a home in which nobody's suffering from SIRS. Mm -hmm. um, the levels of, of cleanliness from, a, from you know, a mold perspective or a water damage perspective are much higher when there's someone um, suffering from SIRS. And therefore, yeah, basically are going to need to investigate the home very carefully and find out what the causes are. Of, um, of water damage. So um, you're going to be much more concerned if there are what we call high water saturation species on the ERMI test or on the Hertz-Me2 test. Mm -hmm. And uh, those species are Stachybotrys yep. and Chematomium. They sound and delightful. So they do sound <laughs> delightful, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> and, okay. So, so these are all, yeah. These are all things that are discussed further in the course. I don't want people to panic when they hear this and and start getting overwhelmed and think this is just um, a mountain that is unable to be climbed. Because um, I can tell you that it has been climbed before. Uh, I've climbed it and um, and basically got myself well. Mm. And uh, and it is definitely. And I've got other people well from this. I've seen other people get well from this. So, um, the definitely, it definitely is possible to understand this. Yeah, and it definitely is possible to to recover from this. It, it, it's I won't say it's the most easy syndrome to recover from, but it's certainly well within the realms of possibility. Amazing, and in your experience, because I've heard some people do some crazy things like move to the desert for um, recovering from SIRS. Um, and, you know, when people start to research it as a possibility that they might have it, I, I'm always thinking I, I want to feel responsible for the mental health of someone out there on the internet <laughs> coming across these things and thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to move to the desert and then the panic sets in. Can you live in just any old average city or are there people who just do better generally in drier climates? I mean, you know, like there's some – it brings up some interesting rather big questions, don't you think, about different people thriving in different areas based on their predispositions to certain things? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think the, the key to know is everyone is individual. Yeah. And I don't really want to make a blanket statement about this no. because I don't want to mislead anyone. But I don't. I think it, sometimes you see even on the support groups and Facebook that, uh, such as Facebook, that, that you'll get certain people making blanket statements such mm. as you need to move to the desert or you need to, you need to just dispose of all your possessions. And I feel that those things are, those kind of statements are a bit too, overwhelming yeah, people to start with and I think the thing is um, the thing is probably start with just trying to understand this syndrome firstly 
and start to be, and grow your awareness. So one of the really good things you can do if you have this or if you're suspecting mold um, is affecting your health and, if, and, and that you possibly could have SIRS is to try what we call a mold sabbatical, which is just going away camping for around a week mm. or, or at least three days and then come back into your home again and observe for the subtle differences that you notice. Mm-hmm. So this is the way you can start just growing a little bit more awareness uh, around your reaction to different buildings and different environments. And, um, and as you go along this journey, you'll start to gather more data around what level of um, mold avoidance are you going to need um, in order to, to get the, the, the result that you're looking for. So for many people, just getting you know, a place with an ERMI score below 2 or a Hertz Me 2 score below 11, which is what Dr. Shoemaker has published in his studies, um, is going to be perfectly sufficient for recovering. I do think there are some people who are more, more sensitive than others and may find that they need to do something a little bit more extreme. But what I'm saying is I don't think you should just assume that. Yeah, great. And, you know, in terms of people who are renting, like what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to sort of with a clandestine little kit sort of take a quick scraping of a place before we, before we apply for it? Um, how, how, do we, how do we find out? Other than obviously using our noses, you mentioned that before. Or is that just something that we have to resign ourselves to being more part of if you're buying a house? Well, even with a rental property, you can decide to to ask for a, a um, super quick test to be done mm-hmm. by a lab like Mold Lab, and and that can be possible in some instances. In some instances, you may not have that time to you know up your sleeve, and yeah. you may just <laughs> you don't have that time in Sydney. Let me tell you, with the rental oh, market right? yeah. the way it is here, is it right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so therefore, you may have to just go. Uh, on your your sense of smell and yeah. you know I like for instance I believe I've reached a stage now where I can tell a water damaged building yeah uh, just through sense of smell I've got like a little bit of an inbuilt ermy now <laughs> and and I really feel that's the stage you've got to get to I mean you, it's it's ridiculous to think that you can uh, ermy or test every building yeah exactly. it's just not it's not possible or practical so you've got to get to the stage where you have developed a level of awareness to which buildings affect you yeah. and which don't and therefore you you should be able to then gauge any new building that you're going into including a rental property based on the, that awareness and 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 your, the sense of smell and also just the the sense of the subtle signs that come up when you go into a water damaged building um so some people notice just a little bit of brain fog some people notice a little bit of depression or fatigue and as i say it's an awareness process and and the more you tune in to, to those subtle type symptoms and and the more you experiment with going into various buildings, the more you should develop the ability to know when you are in a water damaged building or not. Absolutely. I, I um, have eye tingling. My eyes go a little bit stingy. And that's, yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's, that's a common how one. I can tell. Yeah. No, that's a common one. Um, but I, I really agree with you on that awareness building thing. And if you feel like you're not aware now, it is a skill you can build. And when people do my course, um, the Go Low Tox course, which is all about, you know, shifting to more natural options across day-to-day choices, um, you know, a lot of people start that by being people who are using fabric softeners and air fresheners and all sorts of things like that. And just by bringing the awareness around 
what it takes to create those fragrance compounds and what's inside them and bringing people's awareness to that not being a good thing, it's amazing how quickly people's senses tune into those synthetic fragrances everywhere thereafter once they've banished from them from their own homes. And, you know, your radar just becomes incredible. And so I'd imagine it's the same with this. Yeah, it's the same. It's it's absolutely the same with anything. It's also food. Mm. A lot of people who, who um, you know, were previously unaware of the effects of different food on their health, uh, once they try different elimination diets, for instance, and this is one thing we used to be taught with the Australasian College of Nutritional and Environmental Medicine, or ACNAM, is that if you try taking gluten out of your diet, for instance, for four weeks and then reintroduce it, often you will come to know whether you are reacting to gluten-based foods and otherwise you may not have been aware. So in other words, often if you don't really, if you don't ever eliminate something, often you will not come to know whether it's affecting you because the the button is always pushed, so to speak. Yeah. So in order to develop an, uh, an awareness of what anything environmentally is um, is doing you know, on, to your body, it's important to, to have a period of getting away from it, starting from a clean slate, so to speak, and then re-exposing yourself. And I think that's a very sound way of, of learning to develop some some awareness around environmental factors and health. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Dr. Gupta. I'd love for you to just share um, a little bit more about uh, Mold Illness Made Simple for people who are considering exploring this uh, for themselves. Is it something we can just jump onto and start whenever we like? Yes, it's it's an on-demand online course and it's basically designed to be an eight-week course um, although it doesn't have to be finished in the eight weeks, you're not banned from the course or anything if you don't get it completed in those eight weeks. It's recommended to try and get it done in a, in, in you know, a maximum of six months if you can. Otherwise, we tend to forget about things. But basically, it's an attempt by me to make this information about chronic inflammatory response syndrome digestible and able to be comprehended by anyone. And, and the reason I created it is I saw a tremendous amount of overwhelm and desperation in my patients who were either being diagnosed with this condition or were, or were undergoing the treatment protocol. And I didn't like to see that. I really, I really want to see that people are feeling confident about their treatment and um, feel that they're moving forward rather than being in a state of overwhelm and desperation. Uh, So um, it was really early last year that I came up with this idea and came up with the determination that I wanted to create an online course that was going to explain the syndrome to people in a easily comprehensible way that they could finish that course and then say, hang on, okay, I understand this now. And I'm now determined that I'm going to get well, and I am going to get well. And I really want to see people who have this syndrome get through it yeah. and get to the and 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 get better. And um and 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 that's the most amazing thing uh, to see people recover from the syndrome and uh, see them get their life back. Mm. And um, so that's really the underlying in- intention behind it. It basically consists of videos 
and um, which are of basically of uh, PowerPoint presentations that I've developed where I explain all of the different concepts of, of CIRS in as simple a way that I think anyone can. And basically along with that, there is a PDF workbook that you, you're also given. And, um, and then at the end of each chapter, there, there is a, um, an MCQ or at the end of each week, rather, there's, there's an MCQ test to make sure that you've un understood everything. And if you find that there's one or two questions that you can't answer, then we recommend going back over the material again and, and reading it again. At the end of all of it, you know, the majority of people are fed back to us that they feel a whole lot more confident uh, about SIRS and they feel that their understanding has grown a lot and there's a level of calmness that comes with that. And I feel that those things are really, really important. Well, knowledge is so powerful and it once you step away from overwhelm, which is a place where you cannot take action because you're so overwhelmed and you replace that with knowledge and, and some steps that you can start to take, then it really changes everything and it starts to become doable and possible. And if you've experienced SIRS or if you're thinking that this could be a thing that you are experiencing, I highly, highly recommend you take a look at the course uh, and or if you're a practitioner listening, you know, there's nothing better than doing something like this that will help you as a nutritionist, naturopath, GP, start to help people that come across your desk better because you might recognize those signs a bit earlier in the piece. Yeah, absolutely. And, and a number of practitioners who have done this course have said that it's been extremely valuable to them. And then they've decided to do further training afterwards, either with Dr. Shoemaker or myself to actually, uh, you know, work out then how to follow the exact protocol and, and get the exact dosages of, of all of the different um, medications and, and supplements that are used. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Gupta. It was just such a pleasure having you here, uh, helping us start to, to take a deeper look at this. And, and obviously, the, the course is the next step for people who are now awake and thinking, oh my gosh, this, this could be the thing for me. Uh, I love your work. And, and I'm sure I'll have you back on the show. It, just as we were talking, I thought of a billion other questions I then wanted to ask. So we may have to do a part two. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you as well, Alex. I really appreciate your work in this area of, of raising awareness of environmental factors in health. And I'm sure a lot of people are gaining a lot of knowledge through listening to your your blogcasts and so on. So so thanks again. I will, before going, just give the um, the web address for the course. Oh, please do. And that's um, www.moldillnessmadesimple.com. Uh, so that's spelt the American way, M-O-L-D. So it's moldillnessmadesimple.com. And there is a discount code also that I will just find for you. Um, <laughs> which which will I will, earlier. Yeah, exactly. Which will, will allow you to, to get 10% off. Basically, the um, it's low-tox SIRS. So it's L-O-W-T-O-X-C-I-R-S. So if you use that coupon and uh, when you sign up, the enrollment, the enrollment page is something you can go to directly once you're at the homepage of moldillnessmadesimple.com. That will give you a 10% uh, a discount and you can sign up basically at, at any time. 
uh, to this course and um, and complete it at your own leisure. As I say, if you can get it done within about around six months, that's most recommended. I do really only recommend this course to people who are willing to invest a certain amount of time into trying to understand this. Um, I will, you know, I will also clarify it's not a, it's not an instant an instant gratification type thing. There is going to need to be a certain amount of time that you are going to need to devote to this. So if you don't feel like you have, let's say, one to two hours a week to devote to this course, I wouldn't recommend signing up um, because, you you know, there's going to be a certain amount of attention that you're going to need to pay to this in order to, to get through this course and gain that knowledge. But when you think about, you know, one or two hours a week for around eight weeks or so, that's, that's not really a huge amount of time. It's not, especially when you consider people with SIRS have often been sick for years. So this is, this is nothing. It's a drop in the ocean and it's finally moving people forward. Exactly. So if you're willing to devote around 16 hours or so uh, in total in, into trying to understand SIRS, I can pretty much guarantee you that at the end of this, you will feel much more confident with it and you will feel a lot more confidence in moving forward and uh, and either getting a definite diagnosis on yourself or whether you have SIRS or not, or actually getting through the treatment protocol if you have been diagnosed, or if you're a, uh, a health professional, just getting to the stage of being able to recognize this and, um, and deciding if you want to then um, basically become a practitioner of SIRS or not, or just become someone who refers on to other SIRS practitioners. I think for all of those purposes, I, you know, I'm pretty much very confident that you will get that those outcomes if you're willing to, to devote around 16 hours in total to learning this material. Awesome. And I have thought of another question and I'm so going to ask it even though we have done the full wrap-up <laughs> sequence there <laughs> because it's just too good. Only because this is something that ha- came up for me, which was the the first thing that um, someone I saw uh, tested me for when I suspected mold illness was allergies, like allergies to mold. And you haven't mentioned anything about that today, getting allergy panels done. Why? Well, allergies is not so. So that's a different that's a different t- category of, of reactivity to to mold or, or reactivity to any environmental yeah. kind of factor. And you know, basically, if you just have a bit of allergy to mold and nothing else, then that's a lot less severe a syndrome, generally speaking. And you know, you're still going to need to avoid um, mold spores. In you know, if you do have an allergy, but it, allergy generally doesn't affect every body system in the same way as chronic inflammatory response syndrome does. And often you can get a reasonable result by just using antihistamine medications or antihistamine supplements and just avoiding um, mold to the best degree possible. But um, you know, in general, if you if your problem is just allergy, you you will tend to not need as uh, comprehensive a treatment protocol as um, someone with SIRS. However, it's also worth noting that the two can coexist as well. I was going to say, and can you not have any allergies come up in an allergy testing panel but still get SIRS? Yeah, absolutely. As we say, they're two separate things. Yeah. And therefore, you know, it's reasonable to do allergy testing as well, but it's very important to realize that a negative test does not mean you do you you don't have any problems um, with water damage buildings at all. And that's a that's a really important point. Yeah, thank you. So I'm glad I asked, hey, that was a good one. 
That was a good one. Right <laughs> at the you. end there. Yeah, I know. A little special bonus sneak for it, everybody. Sneak it in, yeah, before we finish. <laughs> Thank you so much once again. I look forward to chatting to you again soon and I know that everybody who jumps on the course is going to love it. So thanks. Great. Thank you, Alex. I've really enjoyed uh, talking with you today. Well, that's another show done. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Always so much inspiration from our beautiful guests or me when I feel like having a solo show. And I just want to take a minute to say thank you for taking the time to leave a review for our show because it helps us stay visible and helps other people who maybe haven't discovered it yet go, ooh, that looks like it might be worth a look. So if the show has provided value to you, there's nothing you can do to thank me more than to leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you access the show from. So what you do is you just search generally in the podcast app. Don't be in the list of shows because you won't be able to leave a review there. So once you've searched generally, you'll see the tile come up and you click on that tile and then a little set of tabs will come up and the middle one is called review. And from there, you can click it, star rate it and leave a review. And I appreciate that so much. Now, if you want to connect with the rest of the Lotox Life community, wherever on Instagram at Lotox Life or on the main website uh, where there are a whole bunch of recipes, some incredible e-learning opportunities depending on what your Lotox goals are. And that is www.lotoxlife.com. And of course, if you want to check out the podcast show notes, you just do forward slash podcast and everything's there. So I look forward to continuing our chats in between shows online in the community. Mm-hmm.